Good morning, slaves. Turn to Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. That, I think, is an appropriate title for you if you're a spiritual relative of the Apostle Paul, because that's the way he described himself. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant or a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A slave, or the word servant, doulos, in the Greek language, can refer to a paid employee, or it can refer to a slave. Paul appreciated the three sisters, and I hope you do too. You'll find them named in verse 4. To Titus, my known son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. These have sometimes been called the three sisters of salvation, grace, mercy, and peace. Sort of a summation of our salvation in Christ. Grace is the foundation of our redemption. Mercy is the manifestation of our redemption. And peace is the consummation. Perhaps we have the three tenses here, also past, present, and future. Grace points to the past. Our salvation goes back to the before the foundation of the world. And mercy speaks of the present Day by day, we experience the mercies of God. Thy mercies are new every, every day. And peace points to eternal rest and uh, perpetual peace of the future. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve, and mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And so, through grace, we are admitted to heaven, and mercy saves us from hell. And Jesus is our peace. Well, I didn't realize I was the last, well, I guess I did realize I was the last to be asked to come here. Um, My Uncle Andrew also had the name of Bean. He said uh, he would quote uh, a saying from years ago that uh, when you get to the bottom of the barrel, you always get beans. So you've hit the bottom of the barrel this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 20, if you will. I'd like to extend, build on the uh, theme of the message of the Sunday school lesson. I appreciated the uh, discussion very much. I'd like to speak about a servant's heart. Stories told of a prominent evangelist, I think he was from America, who was asked to come to Japan and uh, he visited the city of uh, Kagawa, who was known as a great humanitarian and a, a notable Christian in that city. And so he was looking forward to meeting this uh, great man, Kagawa. So he arrived at the train station and uh, Kagawa was there to meet him. And this uh, prominent man from America looked around, and he had a fairly high estimation of himself, I guess. 
be asked to come there. And uh, so uh, didn't see anyone, but he had these bags to carry, so he said uh, he so noticed this poorly, shabbily dressed man there at the platform. And he said, here, fellow, take my bags for me, would you? And so Kagawa, who it was, humbly took his bags and carried them for him. You can imagine how the preacher felt about his misidentification. You can tell whether you have a servant heart by the way you act when you're treated like one. I was reading this morning of a minister who prayed, Lord, drench me with humility. I've been blessed by seeing a servant heart in action. My mother is one. She is now 101. And she's still serving in various ways. One of the things I, that stands out in my memory of her was at uh, fellowship meetings. <clears throat> she would frequently go, and so would Barbara and I, and uh, my dad, and go to the International Bible Fellowship meetings near Goshen, Indiana. It's a campground, and there are uh, cabins and so on, and a common restroom area. And so, usually on the first day, there would be an appeal from the moderator for someone to uh, look after the ladies' restroom. And um, it was not a position that seemingly was eagerly sought after. But my mom would let others have first opportunity. But I remember she usually was the one at 10.30 or 11 o'clock that was there to minister to others in that way. In many respects, any mother, or just about any mother, any Christian mother, has a servant heart. There was a woman by the name of Dorcas that we read about in the Bible. She was full of alms, deeds, and good works. That was her reputation. When she died, the widows had their children's garments and perhaps their own garments. I was going to say overalls, but not if they were widows, I guess. So. The garments, anyway, that she was responsible for sewing. I wonder how much she charged for those garments. sometimes say to my wife, well, shall we hand in a bill for this to the church? Nah, she doesn't think so. There are various ways of serving. In a Sunday school lesson, we talked about prayer. Some years ago when I was at the Bible school, got word of a elderly widow in Ontario 
not from our church, but a neighboring church. Um, anyway, she lived in a neighboring village, and that's why we went to visit her, heard about her and her widowhood. So, Parm and I would go and visit her various times, and it was easy to talk spiritual things with her, and she mentioned one day, you know, Howard, uh, I pray for you every day. And so it was with a sense of loss, a deep sense of loss, when I heard of her, her death. There are mission workers, house parents, those who do VS for one year, two years, five years, or longer. And then there are those who do VS intermittently. It's sort of a life pattern. Irvin Hirschberger, a friend of mine from Pennsylvania, also did some writing. He used to sit across the table from me at Christian Light for some meetings sometimes. And uh, he just liked to help. He was a deacon. I guess he was also principal at uh, Calvary Bible School for quite a long time. Anyway, as I recall, he died in the church house, vacuuming, getting ready for a service. My dad uh, was superintendent of the Sunday school for quite a few years, not every year, but he was often elected to that. Never heard him complain of a regular load. About six or seven years ago, we did a church renovation at Grace Mennonite Church. It was in my home congregation in Ontario. A fellow pastor, semi-retired at that point. Not a carpenter by any means, more of a scholar, but he was there pretty well every day, tearing down the old stuff that needed to be replaced and helping as he could with the addition. Also blessed with a young minister at home who works closely with the youth, ministers to them. So I've been blessed to see a servant heart in action. I've also read of those who have a servant heart. In the early church, for instance, when a plague would hit the Roman Empire, various pockets of the empire, people would be dying left and right. Family members would take um, their father or their sister or whoever and put them out on the street and let them die lest they would contaminate the rest of the family in the house. The Christians would come then and care for those people. This church, I believe, has the name of Mennonite. Menno himself had a very definite servant attitude. He wrote realizing that he had left a comfortable position as a cleric 
professional position to become a heretic and a hedge preacher instead of a peaceful life with his family he needed to describe himself as homeless frequently leaving his wife Gertrude and their couple children for 25 years his life was endangered constantly he wrote he who purchased me with the blood of his love and called me who am unworthy to be his servant knows me and he knows that I seek not wealth or possessions or luxury or ease but only the praise of the Lord my salvation and the salvation of many souls because of this I with my poor weak wife and children have at this point for 18 years endured excessive anxiety oppression affliction misery and persecution for years at Maranatha Bible School we had a slogan at the front of the chapel enter to learn leave to serve depart to serve now as I observe this congregation it looks somewhat different than it did 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago you've grown in numbers perhaps you will need to uh, start a new place of worship sometime in the future so here's a suggestion for a name for the new congregation how does this sound Servant Mennonite Church, or perhaps Slave Quarters Mennonite Church, has a bit of a nice ring to it. Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. By love, serve one another. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And now in Matthew 20, we have the instruction as well as the example of Jesus verse 20 of Matthew 20 tells about uh, Zebedee's children coming with their mum and they uh, at least she desired a certain thing of him I, I think they did both verse 21 and he said unto her what wilt thou she saith unto him grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom Maybe she thought the Republicans and the Democrats, I don't know, one on the right and one on the left. I think she had in mind an earthly kingdom anyway. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Goes on to say, This is not an easy road that your boys are going to be following. One was martyred, the other at an ancient age had been exiled to Patmos. They, uh, they said, oh, we, we can handle it. And then in verse 24, when the other ten disciples heard it, they were uh, a little upset about this idea of the prominence that James and John were asking for. First come, first serve, I guess. They didn't get the idea of serving, though, I don't think. But Jesus called them unto him and said unto him, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. 
And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The world's way of looking at greatness is altogether different than the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of heaven emphasizes service and help. And the Son of Man didn't come to be helped, to be honored, but to minister and ultimately to give his life a ransom. Now in order to have a servant heart, there needs to be some preparation. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for uh, one aspect of preparing to serve. 2 Timothy 3, 14. In order to serve the Lord and his people and others, we need to know Christ as our Savior. Verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You would hardly expect a dead person to serve other people. We have to become alive in Christ. Be, be born again. Become a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And as we know Christ, then we will sense our duty and desire to serve him and to follow Christ's example that ye should follow in his steps. I mean, steps of service. Hebrews 12.28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. So know Christ as Savior, and know the importance of serving. The word minister, as we are reading in Matthew 20, minister means helper. And those who are called to be a minister, as we use the term, uh, should be reminded by that term that ministers are to help, not to lord over others. Christ came to serve, not to be served, and so we today. Jesus went about doing good. We are just going about sometimes. A servant heart reflects a way of life, a philosophy of life, which is different than man's approaches. Psychology says, be confident, assert yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Religion says, be good, conform yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Epicureanism, pursuit of pleasure, says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Asceticism says, be lowly, suppress yourself. 
Rome and fitness says, be strong, discipline yourself. But Christ says, be serving, have a servant heart, live for others. A few verses from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. It's not simply a, Old Test, a New Testament concept. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Joshua 24, and verse 14, I'd like to read. Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Now then, I'd like to consider some attitudes and actions that reflect a servant heart and then look at some practical ways in a congregational life that we can serve one another. John Maxwell writes, Servanthood is not difficult to define, it's only difficult to achieve. One way, one attitude is uh, actions that are unselfish. Now I don't agree with everything about Mother Teresa's theology, but uh, she was a person who served. One case she came to uh, a man who had a rare and horrendous form of terminal cancer. Uh, one of the workers there in India had uh, become nauseous from the stench and couldn't, couldn't handle it anymore. So Mother Teresa stepped in and uh, took over. And the patient said, uh, how, can, how can you stand uh, the stench? And she said, it's nothing compared to the pain you must feel. Instead of thinking about ourselves, we think about the comfort and the well-being of others. From Virginia comes this story of Laura Heatwell, died about six years ago, age 103. Thousands upon thousands of people could have shown or told about the clothing she made while she was living. Laura, a single sister, sewed and she sewed and she sewed much of her life, but especially the last 35 to 40 years after she retired from the workplace. Many of those years she made more than 500 dresses a year. But only God knows the total because she never kept count. Her sewing also included more than dresses. She made jackets, veilings, or whatever was needed. Then she pieced comforter tops and quilts from scraps. Her sewing first benefited her family at home, but also included various mission stations, the local sewing circle, and other parts of the world through CAM. Surely God gave her special understanding. Material might be scant, but she could figure out how to place the pattern and produce a garment. Sometimes without a pattern, she could visualize and draw with her finger what looked right and then make it work. With 22 yards of material, she could make 20 dresses. Two each for sizes 12, 10, 8, 6, and age 4 with very little material left over. That's beyond my, I don't understand what that's all about, but some of you women might uh, be impressed with that. I, uh, 20 dresses out of 22 yards, uh, 
I think my wife takes more than a yard of material for a dress. Anyway, love never held a, Laura never held a high-paying job, and she spent ten summers on the West Virginia mission field. But in her retirement years, a mission-minded brother paid for material so she could continue to sew. Most recipients of Laura's garments never thanked her. They didn't know her. But no doubt many of them thank God for meeting their needs, and he will openly reward the service rendered to him in secret. Don't know if I ever met her or not. Might have. Act unselfishly and act humbly. Philippians chapter 2 speaks again of Jesus Christ and his example. Titus chapter 2 and verse 5. Did I say Titus? I meant five, uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. By your burden. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, a very gruesome death on the cross. Then to uh, John 13, where we have Christ's example of humbly serving. John 13, 13. After he's finished observing this, what we call an ordinance, he says, ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happier ye if you do them. Ruth Calkin writes it this way. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at a women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm for Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and you asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew there may be some equivalence of that kind of service right here. Act unselfishly, act humbly, and thirdly, act authentically. Not like Elisha's servant, Gehazi, who had ulterior motives. And like James and John, who, yeah, they wanted to be there with the Lord. (coughs) 
not sure who wrote this. I am like James and John. Lord, I size up other people in terms of what they can do for me. How they can further my program. Feed my ego. Satisfy my needs. Give me strategic advantage. I exploit people, ostensibly for your sake, but really for my own sake. Lord, I turn to you to get the inside track and obtain special favors, your direction for my schemes, your power for my projects, your sanction for my ambitions, your blank check for whatever I want. I am like James and John. Change me, Lord. Make me a man who asks of you and of others, what can I do for you? Some years ago, I was given the, an article called, Here Am I, Serve Me. I'd like to quote a bit from that. I found it very thought-provoking for my own life. Jesus did not incidentally minister. He came to minister. It was his set purpose. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. As Christians, we often fail to realize how much sin and failure, vexation and discontent, discord and unhappiness emerge from our desire to be ministered to. Can you relate to any of the following situations? You feel ignored, brushed aside. Your employer or employee doesn't show you proper consideration. A neighbor doesn't treat you with respect. You're left feeling upset. Did the harsh feelings come because you were deprived of the privilege to minister? No. They came because your rights and talents and position and dignity and importance were not recognized. You came to be ministered to, but received nothing. A friend is praised or does better than you. The honor, success, money, popularity, rewards have gone to him, but you wanted them. Because he has been ministered to and not you, you are jealous. You are a person of excellent taste and sound judgment, but your advice has been ignored. Perhaps it was not even asked for. Because you are an authority in that area, you cannot understand why you were not consulted. Your spirit is ruffled. Is the problem that you, that your friend has now gotten himself into a sad mess? No, not at all. In fact, he's managed very nicely without your help. The trouble is you have not been acknowledged. Your reputation has not been ministered to. You spoke in church uh, on a special occasion. Good audience assembled, including a well-known and influential Christian man. At the close of the service, you felt extremely pleased with yourself and naturally expected your honored guest to thank you for uh, such an interesting and moving message. But he quietly walked out. How disappointed you were. You had the opportunity to minister to many people, but in your heart you wanted the message to minister to you. You were engaged in Christian work as a Sunday school teacher or a church officer. Now you feel led to take a sabbatical. What prompted your decision? 
Has your health failed? Are home duties more pressing? Has your opportunity to minister been withdrawn? No. You're tired of it. You thought it would interest you, give you a position in the church. You thought you would like it, and it did for a while. As long as it ministered to you, you were willing to continue. If our happiness depends on our being ministered to, we will soon be fretting and fuming. A word of caution, however. This is by a Horsburg writing. The Lord Jesus did not encourage us to be like Stoics, denying our feelings. We will always experience annoyances and disappointments, but they need not upset us. Christ has already set the pace for us. He was so busy thinking of others that he had no time to think of himself. But he is not saying that we are never to be ministered to, always to be slighted, never to meet with success or reward. No harm comes from being ministered to. The Lord himself was often ministered to, but he, and he expressed his appreciation. The danger comes in always wanting to be served instead of serving others. Serve with honesty. Serve authentically. Next, act faithfully. That's the way of a servant heart. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17. I'm not sure how to pronounce this brother's name, but says in Colossians 4, 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Maybe it's a Sunday school teaching assignment, or a school board member, or a prayer warrior, or a mother, whatever. Your ministry, your opportunities to help carry out the, re, the uh, responsibility. I recall some approaches to individuals uh, back home who uh, when uh, asked to hmm, serve as a superintendent of the Sunday school or a Sunday school teacher they'd say something like this um, I'd rather not be tied down well my thoughts then went to Jesus who was nailed down for us not so bad to be tied down. Act harmoniously. In cooperation with others. Here's a little story about the carpenter's tools. Brother Hammer was uh, in charge of a, a conference. He was the chairman. But the group soon informed him that he must leave for he was too noisy. These are a conference of the carpenter's tools. Brother Hammer said... If I leave the carpenter shop, Brother Nail must go too. He's so insignificant that he makes little impression. Little Brother Nail rose and said, All right, I'll go, but if I go, Brother Screw must go too. You have to turn him around and around before you can get him to go anywhere. If you wish, I will go, said Brother Screw, but then Brother Plain must leave. His work is on the surface. There's no depth to him. To this, Brother Plain replied, well, Brother Rule, you'll have to withdraw too, for you're always measuring folks as though you were the only person who's right. 
Brother Rule complained against Brother Sandpaper and said, he should leave because he's rougher than he ought to be. He's always rubbing people the wrong way. In the midst of the heated discussion, the carpenter walked in. He put on his apron and walked to the bench. He employed the hammer, the nail, the screw, the plane, the rule, the sandpaper, and all the other tools. When the day's work was over, he had completed a pulpit from which the gospel would be preached. Work together. Serve together. And this sometimes calls for submission of doing things, if you're working with others, in a way that is different than what your right idea was. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. One of a favorite phrases of mine from the scriptures is workers together with God. That speaks of relationship, working together, working with God as a group. Now let me uh, mention a few areas of service. I'd like to talk about teaching and song leading and ushering, all of which I thought were done in an excellent manner here this morning. So I'm glad I'm not stepping on anyone's toes that I know of. But just uh, for your consideration, A teacher is someone who helps another to learn. And that normally takes some preparation, takes some time and effort, involves being tied down. And on a children's level especially, I counted about 30 children up here this morning, uh, there's not all that much, I suppose, that a teacher gets out of the lesson. Although, exposure to the scripture can be used of the spirit to minister to our needs. My wife has been preschool teacher for years and years and years. Some of us teach adult classes. And I think, uh, although a lecture is, can be effective, I, I enjoy a discussion such as we had here this morning. And so the teacher should know the content and some applications of the lesson so that uh, he or she can uh, ask thought-provoking questions and feel the, uh, the thoughts with confidence and sort of guide the flow of the discussion. It's good to phrase the questions clearly, not vaguely. Sometimes I have to say, well... There's actually two reasons I sometimes need to to ask for the question. Uh, say, uh, so how, what's what's the question again? One is it was vague. The other was I was daydreaming. So it's not that's the student's responsibility. To, um, the questions should be uh, on an adult level, something that will stimulate thought, not what I call baby questions. You know, what was Adam's wife's name? Well, most adults feel a little foolish answering that question, so even though uh, you can give a truthful answer. And it's good to express appreciation and commendation for the responses that you get. Serving the Lord in Sunday school and summer Bible. Did you have a summer Bible school this year? Yeah. 
can be fairly tiring and intense. Those evenings or mornings, I've always been involved in a morning Bible school, uh, summer Bible school. My home church, sometimes in another, sometimes I'd have four weeks of summer Bible school for half a day. So, uh, probably taught more than 50 summer Bible school classes now. Some communities find it hard to lasso teachers. And it is rewarding when there are eager volunteers for that. Serving. Witnessing. And singing. At nursing homes and hospitals and things like that. Tract distribution. Jail ministry. If you have opportunity for that. Um, my family never went regularly to uh, prison ministry, but several times a year we would end up uh, with me speaking and usually our family singing. Um, personal conversations by way of witnessing. Song leading, I said I'd say something about that. Well, I think a person who is called to lead congregational singing should consider prayerfully choice of songs, uh, should say the number clearly, should try to keep the congregation together without drawing a lot of attention to himself. Comments about a song are, I think, sometimes appropriate, but it's not really the song leader's job to give a sermonette prior to each song. I think he should attempt to give the congregation, uh, he should try to have the congregation start with him on each verse. And that means giving a suitable pause in between verses rather than darting right into the next verse and I'm still grabbing a breath. A pitch pipe or something uh, similar is a wonderful device for keeping the sopranos out of the rafters and the basses out of the cellar. Few people don't need that, but uh, I do. And we can encourage one another in singing. Some of us, naturally it seems, can sing. I wouldn't say that's me. I can make a noise. I, I, I can sing and I can sort of half carry apart normally. Uh, maybe it's my own part. but uh, I remember when I was about grade 8, I was getting to be a big boy and my voice was changing. And so I like to think I could sing bass in church. So I made some noises down there anyhow. And uh, the man who uh, fairly often would lead singing at church, he uh, turned around to me and said, Howard, I like to hear you singing. You're singing in church. Oh, that made me feel good. Encouraged me in my singing. Then after uh, we were married, my wife and I were talking about this brother, and she's much more of a singer than I am, and she said, oh, that was the uh, one who, who uh, blew one pitch, hummed another, and started the song on a third, and I didn't feel quite so praised anyhow. I don't know if you have food committees around here or not, but... Uh, Seems to me there's a lot of work goes into uh, 
preparation of food when they have a, a bunch of people hard on the feet, oftentimes missing out on the, at least in a big fellowship meeting, missing out on the, on the spiritual food, the preaching and the, the fellowship, the stress of trying to figure out how much to plan and what to have and whether they'll be, uh, it'll work out okay and as often they get stuck with the cleanup. Uh, I've noticed some people just sort of quietly evaporate at the end of a fellowship meal and they slip away and leave others with the work. So then I talk about ushering. Usher should uh, welcome people if there's any size of a, any question about where to sit and that sort of thing. Try to put visitors at ease. I was this morning. And um, I asked an experienced usher for some pointers for ushers, and he said, The usher's job is to make people feel welcome and at ease. It's hard to do this without wearing a smile. If you're happy, don't forget to tell your face so. Make the first move toward visitors. Provide a lesson quarterly for them if you're having Sunday school. Also, as an usher, you should arrive in plenty of time to make sure everything is prepared. Before feeding the 5,000, Jesus asked his usher assistants to seat the people in an orderly way. Likewise, his assistants today can help folks be seated in an orderly way before the bread is broken. So, um, then there's car parkers. Boy, all kinds of weather. Miss out on first part of the service. Not a lot of praise goes to car parkers back in Ontario. Janitor, uh, they may get paid, but not usually too well. And various other ways of serving. Leaders are to be servants. A minister means a servant. A deacon means literally a person who makes the dust fly because they're so busy running here and there to help others. We think of deacons today sort of settling the dust too, I guess. A bishop I think of as a servant of servants, or a servant of servants of servants, if you'd like to carry it a little further. Blessings of service. The congregation can be built up and edified. Timothy, Phoebe, Priscilla and Aquila, Mary, Dorcas, Sometimes the blessing comes around. Uh, at least we find other people more willing to help when we have helped ourselves. When uh, Brother Dwight asked me to come here on short notice, my mind went to last year when I asked him on short notice to fill in Maranatha Bible School for about a week. It's one reason I'm here, Dwight. I remembered that. Thank you. Christian service can encourage leaders. And give peace and fulfillment. David Livingston said, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which simply pays back a small part of the great debt we owe God? Is anything a sacrifice when it brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a thought. It's not a sacrifice, it's a privilege serve. 
God did not save you to be some sort of sensation. He saved you to be a servant. At the close of life, the question will not be, how much have you got? But how much have you given? Not how much have you won, but how much have you done? Not how much you have saved, but how much you have sacrificed. Not how much you were honored, but how much you have served. Came upon recently uh, things God won't ask you when you get to heaven. God won't ask you what kind of car you drove. He'll ask how many people you drove who didn't have transportation. God won't ask the square footage of your house. He'll ask how many people you welcomed into your home. God won't ask about the clothes you had in your closet. He'll ask how many you helped to clothes. God won't ask what your highest salary was. He'll ask if you compromised your character to obtain it. God won't ask what your job title was. He'll ask if you performed your ability to the, your job to the best of your ability. God won't ask how many friends you had. He'll ask how many people to whom you were a friend. God won't ask in what neighborhood you lived. He'll ask how you treated your neighbors. God won't ask about the color of your skin. He'll ask about the contact of, content of your character. You know, God is not looking for stars on the world stage. He's looking for servants in the local congregation and the local community. Don't have a star mentality. Have a servant heart. Shall we bow our heads to pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who came as a servant and sacrificed his time and sacrificed his life in order to give us eternal life. May we follow his example of a servant heart, of ministering to others rather than to seek to be ministered to. Forgive us, dear Father, where we've had selfish inclinations and actions. And may we humbly, sacrificially, and gladly serve you and others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.